Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. When you find that, please stand with me to read God's Word. We're going to read Matthew 15, verses 10 through 20. You know, we come each week hungry for the Word of God, hungry for a Word from God, and God does not disappoint. God meets the desires of His people in this regard. We're going to read in context what we, following on from what we uh, was looking at last week. But it's Matthew 15, beginning at verse 10. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if a blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is God's word. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. And thank you, Lord, that by your spirit you help those who believe to, to know your word, to understand your word, to hear and understand. Lord, we pray today that you would cause us in our hearts to listen and gain insight. And we... We commit ourselves to you and pray for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Talking today about Christ alone, relationships above rules. Uh, It's very common for professing Christians to think they need something more than Jesus and the Word of God to be in right relationship with God. And many people do this. It's very very easy to do. Many people throw some, some Jesus in the mix and some scripture in the mix and also some self-made ideas into the mix. George Barna has done a lot of studies. He found that 35% of conservative evangelical Protestants, self-professed conservative evangelical Protestants in the United States believe that God will save all good people when they die regardless of whether they've trusted in Christ. Over 25% of those who would call themselves born-again evangelicals said if a person is good or does enough good things for others during life, they will earn a place in heaven. 33% said Christians, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, and others all pray to the same God, even though they use different names for that God. These are the type of misconceptions and 
untruths that, that people who say they believe in Christ hold to. So we are in desperate need of the living Word of God and the written Word of God to redirect us. The Reformation teachings of sola scriptura, Scripture alone, and solus Christus, Christ alone, are often misunderstood, but they prove to highlight the necessity of Christ and Scripture. Mercifully, by God, by His Spirit and through His Word, gives us a renewed perspective when we understand that it is in Christ alone that we find salvation. It is in Scripture alone that we see the teaching about salvation. Scripture alone does not mean that Scripture contains the only truth that exists. It means that our salvation and our faith and our life is based on the teaching of Scripture alone. Man-made ideas uh, on those subjects all fail. They don't work. They don't prove, uh, they're not, they're not uh, standing the test of time. Now, Christ alone, which we're focusing on today, does not mean that we do not believe in the Father and the Spirit. It means that Christ is the only incarnate self-revelation of God. Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only incarnate self-revelation of God, the only Redeemer of humanity. Michael Horton calls the doctrine of Christ alone a defense of the idea that God alone reveals himself and saves us. We do not find him, he finds us. That Jesus is the only way of knowing God, the only way of entering into a relationship with him as father instead of judge. Now last week we looked in Matthew chapter 15 verses 1 through 9 and Jesus was responding to a uh, to a question from the Pharisees and scribes, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And he answered in true repentical fashion with another question. And, and his question showed that God's word must be our ultimate authority. And that it is everlasting, it is authoritative, it is trustworthy. And that man's opinions are temporary and weak and unreliable. And that God wants us to have his word as our ultimate authority so that we would worship him appropriately, that we wouldn't worship him vainly to no purpose, and that we would teach truth accurately instead of teaching lies. Now, in this same context, now Jesus is going to answer directly the question of the Pharisees and the scribes. Verse 10, we'll start at verse 10. It says that after Jesus called the crowd to him, so here you had the, the Pharisees and the scribes coming to Jesus with this interrogation and then it seems as if they've gone at some point and he's calling the crowds to himself. Now maybe the Pharisees were on the periphery, maybe they were there for a little while, but whatever the case, he called the crowd to him and he said something to them. He said, hear and understand. He pronounces a, a new Shema. Hear, O Israel. He says, hear, and don't just listen, but get it. Understand it. Listen and gain insight into what I have to say. Jesus is saying, don't listen to them. They're leading you astray. Listen to me. I am the only authoritative interpreter of Scripture. So listen to me and get the point, is what Jesus is saying. And the point is this, that to be right with God, we need to focus on the heart. We need to focus on an 
inward heart level relationship with Jesus, not on an outward heartless following of rules, keeping of rules. The condition of the heart is more important than religious observances. The heart uh, in, this, in these verses, it's, it's the word cardia, it's where we get our word cardiac. And it's the seat of the will and emotion of a person. It is the source of their choices. It, it basically means the whole person, the totality of the person. What they do, what they think, how they respond, what they choose. And Jesus is clearly saying in these verses that the heart is the problem. He says in verse 11, it's not what enters into the mouth that defiles. You're going to see that word five times here in this, in this passage. Defiles. It's a key word. It's, it's a code word here. It's, he says what comes out of the mouth defiles. Skipping down to verse 18, he says that the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. They come from the heart, which is the, the root of the problem, and then they defile. Defile is a, is a big word, and it literally means to, to make common, to not be holy, to not be godly. It means to not be acceptable to God. It means to not be able to stand in God's presence because of your condition. Now, in those days, it was ceremonial uncleanness that the Pharisees were, were really, really worried about. Peter was worried about that, too, when he was on that housetop in Joppa and God gave him a vision and he said oh no Lord by no means because God was saying kill and eat and he had all these animals that he wasn't supposed to kill and eat one who was religiously common or unclean in those days was cut off from fulfilling their religious responsibilities that's where it ended with the Pharisees the heart wasn't involved Defilement was a big idea, a big problem for the religious ceremonialists, the, the rabbis and, and the Pharisees, the scribes. But Jesus is appealing to the crowd here, and he's saying, hear and understand. Listen to it, grasp it, don't be ignorant of it. I'm basically drawing a profound difference between their, their deal and mine. He's saying that moral uncleanness makes a person defiled it's not the outward it's the inward that makes you defiled so dread that jesus is saying don't gloss over that jesus is saying the idea is that apart from christ our hearts are unclean jeremiah 17 a really well-known passage of scripture but it says this jeremiah 17 verses 9 and 10 the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it See, Jesus was telling them to hear and understand what he was saying. They couldn't. It was because their hearts were desperately sick. Verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Apart from Christ, our hearts are unclean. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. The heart is the problem. What else we see here is that sin ruins relationships between God and man. Because the heart is the problem, then sin ruins our relationships, first and foremost with God, but also with people. 
Verse 12, the disciples came and said to Jesus, do you know, I love this question, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when you said what you said? Oh yeah, Jesus knew. He is the stone of stumbling, the rock of offense. Offended, the Greek word is scandalizo. It's where we get our word scandal. It means to put a snare in the way of, to cause to stumble. It's, it's the word for a trap. It's, and then a sin that results in the offense. It indicates a deep religious offense at the preaching of Jesus on the part of the Pharisees and the scribes. And what that caused and included was a denial and a rejection of him. They denied him, they rejected him because they were deeply offended at what he preached. It, it means to cause to no longer believe. They didn't believe. The Pharisees and the religious teachers refused to believe in Jesus. So Jesus uses a gardening example. I love it. Verse 13. He answers and said, Every plant that my father did not plant will be uprooted. It takes us right back to Matthew chapter 13 and, and the parable of, of, the, of the weeds. And you remember that, 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 that God plants the seeds and Satan plants the weeds. So he's pointing right back to the fact that they're not from God, they're from Satan. They're not on his team. They're against him. They're, they're going to be um, judged. This idea of being uprooted is judgment. It's coming upon them. Isaiah talked a lot about planting and in, in, the, in the best possible sense. Isaiah 60 and verse 21 says, Your people shall all be righteous... They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting. God is speaking to those that, that he owned, that he that would believe in him. Uh, he said, you're the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. Isaiah 61.3, he, he speaks of granting to those who mourn in Zion a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That's hope for the weary who believe. They may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. What God has done, that he may be glorified. That it would be for his glory. But of the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus says even back in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, you brood of vipers. Those are poisonous snakes, by the way. You brood of poisonous snakes. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. They were just giving what was in them. So verse 14, Jesus said, let them alone. Just like in the parable of the weeds. Let it go until the harvest. God's going to take care of that. You don't have to. It's God's work. So let them alone. And then he says this. They are blind guides of the blind. Now, the Pharisees prided themselves. Many rabbis would call themselves, uh, quote-unquote, guides to the blind. And Jesus says, yeah, you're guides to the blind, and you're blind too. If a blind man guides a, a blind man, both are going to fall into a pit. The other day, I was walking in my neighborhood, and I saw a man I'd never seen before. It was a blind man with a cane, and he was walking. And I greeted him as I passed him by. Good morning. He greeted me. 
But I would never presume to say, would you help me find the store down the street? I might volunteer to help him, but, but I w- it would be foolish for me to ask this blind man for directions. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 16, woe to you. Woe is a huge word. Woe, blind guides. Twist the scriptures. You blind guide, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. See, the Pharisees and teachers of the law and all who were like them refused to believe, therefore they were going to suffer God's judgment and they were going to lead others away from Jesus. Those blind guides to the blind are going to make them all fall into a pit. They would fall, another code word. They're going to lead others away from Jesus, not to him. Verse 15, Peter comes up, the unofficial spokesman of the disciples, and he says to Jesus, explain the parable to us. And the, in, the, in the parallel passage in Mark chapter 7, you see that the, that the crowds had gone away and they were in a house with Jesus. And Peter, again, the spokesman, says, hey, um, explain to us the parable. He's using the word parable here in the idea of a, of a mysterious saying and Jesus answers in verse 16, are you still lacking in understanding? Literally, are, are, you, are you foolish too? And then Jesus uses a biological example that everyone will get. Doesn't matter who you are, be the president of the United States or, or a beggar living on the streets, you know this one. You eat, it goes into your body, and then it, eliminate, it gets eliminated. And the cross-reference in, in Mark 7, it literally says, it goes into the latrine. You know what we're talking about here. Everyone deals with it. You eat, it digests, and you go to the bathroom. It's out of you. It's gone. He says in verse 17, do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and it's eliminated? You need to think about it, he's saying. Consider it, perceive it, get it. By the way, the filthiest toilet in the world is cleaner than the heart not cleansed by Jesus. The filthiest toilet in the world is cleaner than the heart not cleansed by Jesus. I don't care. Oh, you say, well, but they look so good on the outside. They look better than me on the outside. So, Jesus says the heart is the issue, not the outside. So then he he go, keeps going. And he says in verse 18, the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile. They make someone common, profane, unclean, unfit to stand in God's presence. It's the opposite of holy. Sin comes from the heart. The heart must change. And man tries really hard to change his heart, but he can't do it. He tries from the outside to make heart change happen. It doesn't work. We've gone through that, haven't we? You've all tried that, haven't you? But only God can change the heart. Regeneration is necessary. God needs to do a work on the heart for the heart to change. And then Jesus gives a list. Now in Matthew, and you know, if you've been with us in the study of Matthew, by the way, this is the hundredth sermon in Matthew. Praise God. Matthew is to the point. He he just gets to the point. So he gives seven things that come out of the heart. Mark, on the other hand, 13. 13 things. 
But Matthew's list contains seven things, and he hits on the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth commands. He'd already hit on the fifth command in the, in the passage we looked at last week, honor your father and mother, and how they had twisted that. And he's talking about commandments that have to do with human relationships. Offenses against God first, but then also against our fellow man. See, sin ruins relationships both with God and then subsequently with other people. What are those things? What, what are in the list? Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. The word slander here is uh, coming from the root word for blaspheme. Maybe he was pointing to some of the Pharisees' blasphemies that they had spoken against him when they told him he was of the devil. And by the way, lest you think, wow, I'm going through this list and I'm, I'm off the hook. I've only done like two or three. Well, we've done them all if you believe uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. If you've thought it, you've done it, Jesus says. Verse 20 he sums it up and says, these defile, but to eat with unwashed hands, it doesn't, it doesn't mess you up. You might get sick if you've got germs, but it's not going to mess you up spiritually. Sin ruins relationships with God and man, and what we see is that keeping rules fails to pay sin's penalty. Nobody ever got themselves to heaven by keeping rules. Rules can be followed without believing dependent upon itself, focused on the outward action. They're devoid of the heart. They're generated by self-will. So those who don't believe, going right along with what Jesus is saying, they don't listen to God's word. They lack understanding. They're offended at Jesus. They stumble over him. They're not chosen. They're not planted by God. They're spiritually blind. They're defiled. They can't stand in God's presence. They will fall. There's no payment for their sin there. They've justified themselves by their works and it didn't work. By the deeds of the flesh, no flesh will be justified in the sight of God. No one will be justified in the sight of God. It's like this. Anyone who ever been, has been saved in the history of the universe was saved by grace through faith. Justification by faith is the only way anyone has ever been right with God. The heart is the problem. The heart is the problem and Jesus is pointing to himself here as the solution as he always does. There will never be another solution. Jesus is always the right answer to mankind's heart problem. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. Rules can't be. Rules can't be the mediator between God and man. Religious observance can't be the mediator between you and God. Only Jesus. Jesus is the solution. Verse 13, he says, Every plant that my father did not plant will be uprooted it will be judged but see christ was judged for sin so that we would not have to be christ alone paid sin's penalty verse 19 out of the heart comes evil thoughts murders adulteries fornications thefts false witness slanders see all those things incur god's wrath people may celebrate or even joke about these things we see it every day where we live don't we People joke about these type of things. They've made them a, 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 a laughing matter. But they incur God's wrath and they're an abomination to God. What we learn from Jesus' direct answer is that what really matters is a living relationship with Jesus, not a dead observance of rules. Only through a relationship with God can a person 
uh, come to faith in, uh, excuse me, uh, only through a relationship with God through faith in Christ, can, uh, crucified, risen, and coming again, by the way. Jesus Christ crucified, and then buried and risen and coming again. Only then can one come into right standing with God. Passing out of death into life, from darkness into light, from under the sentence of wrath into the glorious freedom of the children of God. There's a focus on an inward heart-level relationship with Jesus, not an outward observance of religious rules. And what will happen? Out of that relationship will flow the desire to please God. But those who try to gain God's approval out, outside of that relationship, that will only fall short. So verse 14, Jesus says, let them alone. Just leave them alone. They're, going to be, they're blind guides to the blind. They're going to keep doing what they're doing. Stay away from them. You know, have you, have, you, have you considered that you can gain standing in almost any human institution through pride? Through your own efforts, through your own hard work. But you can only gain standing in Christ's community through humility. It comes only by Christ's finished work. That's the only standing in God's community that matters. Only Jesus can save us. Only Jesus can bring us in a right relationship with God. Only Jesus can make us able to stand in his presence, blameless and full of joy. Only Jesus can make us holy. R.C. Sproul observed that to the degree that people think they're good enough to pass God's inspection, they are oblivious to the holiness of God and to that extent they will not see Christ as necessary you won't think Jesus is necessary if you think you're good enough to pass God's inspection you won't see Christ as necessary if you think that God isn't holy the relationship with Christ you listen to God's word you consider what he says valuable you understand his ways. You're built up. You're, you're rooted because you've been planted. And, and you're able to see spiritually. You're not blind. And you're holy because of God and his word. You're born of God. A child of God. Begotten by him. Adopted by him. Known by him. Believing in him. Resting in him. Beloved by him. You will stand. And you stand by grace. Jude 124 says this. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. The blind guides the blind, they will fall. But he, Jesus, is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before his presence. Here's what we learn. That Christ, that Jesus Christ, that the Lord Jesus Christ transforms hearts and reconciles relationships. All the stuff that gets messed up by sin, in terms of our relationship with God and others, the things that we choose to do based on ourselves instead of God, all those things, Christ can transform hearts and he can reconcile relationships. We already know that man's heart is messed up. Verse 19 has already told us that. Here's all the fruit of man's heart that comes out. And that list of seven is pretty exhaustive, isn't it? Mark's list of 13, pretty exhaustive. You can add, but basically you got the categories there. The, the, the idea is we need a new heart. We need a heart transplant. Back in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 
God spoke through the prophet and, and, and alluded to this. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Here's what God says. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God said he's going to cause this to happen. Problem is, we're outside of Christ. We're defiled. The God says, be holy. Old Testament, be holy. New Testament, be holy. Be holy for I am holy. Be like me for, for this is how I am. But defiled means not godly, not holy, not able to stand in God's presence. Go with me to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, I really like the way that Dennis Sorensen explains it, and so I'm indebted to him for uh, what I'm going to say about this. But 1 Peter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Be holy. Be holy. Be means become. The verb is in the imperative mood. It indicates a command we're to obey. And so most of us run out there and try really hard to be holy whatever we think that's supposed to be. But it's in the passive voice indicating that someone else performs the action upon us. Basically, the idea is that God actively sanctifies us, makes us holy, and and he does so through his word and by his spirit. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed, God the, the Son prayed to God the Father and said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth sanctify them in the truth and the holy spirit sanctifies romans chapter 15 and verse 16 we are sanctified by the holy spirit first corinthians 6 11 it has the the whole big list of what the former life was like and then it says but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and in the spirit of our god 1 Thessalonians 3.13 says that he might establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. That he might establish your hearts. 1 Peter 1.2 says that we were chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy. Literally, that we, to be holy and blameless. God makes us holy by virtue of our relationship to Him by faith in Christ, by His Spirit, through His Word. If you take this, this passage as a nutshell and you, you really extrapolate out what Jesus is getting at here, He's getting at the gospel truth. He's getting at the, the idea that he alone is the mediator, the only way of salvation, that outward deeds don't make you right with God, that only an inward transformation of the heart through faith in Christ saves you, and that all who experience that transformation will focus on a heart-level relationship with Christ. 
And, and, and what's going to happen, what's going to flow out of that is an engaging in good deeds that glorify God. Observable good deeds that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. And these good deeds are not the foundation of the relationship. They are the fruit of the relationship. The fruit of the Spirit. Literally the fruit by the Spirit. The Spirit produces the fruit. There are righteous actions generated by God. Therefore, therefore, quickly, three things. Three things that that we need to do. Number one, we need to avoid pharisaical attitudes and actions. You know, if we're all honest, we'd all admit that we are all in love to one degree or another with our little C words, code words, that we use as a litmus test. Don't, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. It's, it's, you know what, uh, we're going to accept this person because they use this terminology or they do this kind of action. Oh, they're an outsider because they don't use the kind we like. Uh, they're not one of us. This happens in the church first and foremost. C words divide or they unite. C words detract or attract. C words comfort or afflict. They free or control depending on the people or the setting. Many C words are rooted in sinful pride. Too many professing Christians are more in love with their C words than Jesus. They have made distinctions and they've raised these up above scripture. I was telling someone just this morning, I said, you owe me something. They owe me a receipt so I can reimburse them for something. And they said, I don't owe you anything. I said, you owe me a receipt. I'll get it from your wife then. She probably has it. And I said, actually, you do owe me something. You owe me love, and I owe you love too. You owe, you owe no one anything except to love one another. That's what the scriptures tell us. But here's some of the C words we use. Contemporary, traditional, open, affirming, conservative, liberal, organic, relevant, missional, reformed, public, private, home. You can name more. C words, and here's the question. What C words are you fixated on more than Jesus. If you're in love with Jesus, those will be relegated to a low level. A low level. Jesus is more interested in your relationship with him than, than your litmus tests, than your lust for code words and feeling superior and right. Jesus said, any plant that isn't planted by my Father is going to be uprooted. You know what ruins a relationship with Jesus more than anything? Pride. You uproot pride or it is going to mess you up. See, we're going to be either humble or proud. The pharisaical proud, they come and they're fixed inwardly and they say, how come they? What's the question? What was the question? How come your disciples? They're picking. But the Jesus humble are focused outward and they they say, explain it to me. You know, Peter got corrected for saying, explain to us the parable. But he asked for understanding. He says, teach me, Jesus. That's what the Jesus humble do. They, they say, teach me, Jesus. And then they, they, they come to you and they say, what can I do? How can I serve? How might God use me? Pharisees are complaining interrogators. Disciples are hungry learners. They, they want to know Jesus. 
Second thing we need to do is to cling to Christ, not our traditions and opinions or rules. Adhere to Christ. Stick with Christ. It's very easy when you want to follow, if you value rules and above a following relationship with Jesus, to, to put man's opinions ab- above God's, and, and then you're offended by Jesus. Then you get in line for being judged by Jesus. And then you lead others away from Jesus. And you're going to fall from that. You got to reevaluate what you hold dear. You know, in the Lord of the Rings, and Gollum, Schmeagel, has, has his precious. It's this ring. It's this ring that, that ruined him. And it ruined anybody who wanted to keep it and hold on to it. And it's pride. What's precious to you? What's your little precious that you won't let go of? Pharisees hung out with only those who agreed with them. You need to hang out with people who love Jesus more than anything. You got Christian friends that seem like poison? You need to say something to them. Say, you know what? Jesus is preeminent. C.H. Spurgeon said there will be three effects of nearness to Jesus. If you're close to Jesus, three things are going to come out. Humility, happiness, and holiness. You'd be humble, not proud. Religious rules can keep you outside when God wants you to be inside. Religious rules can be kept without a relationship with God. But a relationship with Christ is gonna, is gonna, it will make you want to please Him more than anything. It will curb your appetite for evil by focusing you to cling to what is good that's what it says abstain from every appearance of evil but cling to what is good don't just abstain but cling to what is good cling to jesus fix your eyes on jesus set your mind on the things above not on the things on earth last thing this would be the toughest one for us because we don't want to do this it's not politically correct and you know that's one of those things we've raised up again uh, over god's word isn't it being politically correct here's number three adopt the attitude of christ Jesus teaches, teaches that externals alone achieve nothing. If, if genuine deeds from the heart please God, and if Pharisees were offended by Jesus' rebuke, Jesus had a choice to make what he was going to do with them. He didn't mince words. He just laid one thing upon another and told the truth about them. They're blind guides. Leave them alone. They're, they're not planted by the Father. They're going to be uprooted. They're going to fall. To God, a clean heart is of utmost importance. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart. But Jesus' attitude towards the Pharisees and the teachers of the law is an example for us of boldly speaking the truth and not caring about political correctness. You know who did that? Stephen. Acts chapter 7. He spoke the truth regardless of the consequence. And the consequence was for him was early death. Death by stoning. Being with Jesus now. We've been hearing in the news about this Iranian pastor. First time I heard it, I thought, oh Lord, help it not be true. 
But here's a man who is, who is uh, being told, as far as I can tell, if I have the accurate story, that he must repudiate his faith in Christ or die. That's the hill you want to die on. Would that we would all, when faced with that question, stand firm and say, I, will do, I can do nothing but love my Lord Jesus Christ. I will not repudiate Christ. We've got to ask ourselves the question what we might be afraid of saying for fear of man. Who are we more afraid to offend? God or man? Jesus alone is our only hope. A lot of times people live with no safety net. You look at a guy on a tightrope and you're like, man, the guy's got no safety net. Falls dead. A lot of people live with no safety net. You know, I, I read in the paper the other day that 18% of Orange County residents are living without health insurance. And people be like, oh, we have to do something about this. Well, do you know what percentage of people living in Orange County are living without Jesus? That's the far, far, far more important issue. And how many have Jesus but are living as if they don't? Here's the deal. No matter what the issue, you name the issue. Relational friction, financial issues, power struggles, ethical, moral issues. No matter what age you are, what life stage you're in, the root issue is always coming back to the heart. That's what James says as well. But here's the deal. Jesus is really saying it's foolish to address issues without addressing the heart. Merely treating the symptoms and dealing with outward behavior doesn't do anything except lead you further away from Christ. So we need to discern and wisely apply the gospel to the heart behind the behavior. The gospel points us to the cross of Christ as the basis for our faith, our hope, and our love. John Stott who's with Jesus, said this, nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross of Christ. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we have visited a place called Calvary. It is there, at the foot of the cross, that we shrink to our true size. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that at the cross, Christ is seen in all his glory. Thank you, Lord, that the message of the cross cures us of our suspicion of you and leads us to trust in you with all our hearts and not on our own understanding. Lord, may that be true of us today. We pray in Jesus' name.